You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast, part two of two on our what the fuck you should do and what you should have and what you shouldn't. This week, we're covering the LGS as well as just some general traps. Uh, probably not going to be too many there, but just things that like you would think would be good, but really aren't and you should avoid like the plague. So I'm going to get it started with the LGS because this is I've been to a lot of LGSs. I've run a few LGSs like I, I cannot stress enough. Holy shit. Have a clean bathroom please. I don't need to explain it. Just have a clean bathroom. The end. That's my point. Clean it. Please. What you got? Uh, I think that's actually a really good point. I was actually thinking about uh, an LGS up here who's not suffering from that, but the building is considered historic, so they can't do any work on it, and one of the toilets is currently sinking into the ground. Yep. The bathroom's off limits to everyone, uh, except that's where the cleaning supplies are now, but (laughs) <laughs> it's really funny to think about, like, all the weird things I've seen in LGS bathrooms. A sign that says, don't do coke in the bathroom. <laughs> yep. Uh, the number of LGS bathrooms I've seen the stay on target uh, yeah. Star Wars screenshot yep. from. Um, I'm a really big fan of just rolls of toilet paper sitting there along with bleach wipes. Just chilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, and it is amazing what a good bathroom or a reasonable bathroom does for an LGS. Like, if you've I, so ever this heard is... of heart convention center yep. horror stories, like, it's, oh, same There's thing. a secret you know as well as everyone else. When you go to a convention center and you're a vendor, you find, find the it. good bathroom. Yep. Yeah. And that's the one that's hidden away that nobody uses, that there's not a bunch of people going through, and it's probably pristine. Mm-hmm. It's a secret. Another, another thing I liken it to is... You know, I'm in the Midwest, so if a show's within eight hours, I'm driving to it because Midwesterners don't value our time. Uh, so I judge gas stations about how clean the restroom is. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. Absolutely. You know, you go to a Sheets or you go to a Bucky's or you go to a Wawa, you go because the bathrooms are clean. It's not really why you go, but yeah. if you have to choose between that and something else, sometimes the bathroom is, you know, the difference. Like me, Loves. I will stop at every single Loves. Okay. I've never gone to a Loves and seen a bathroom that I was like, this is disgusting. It's just a nice touch to have a good bathroom. Yeah. Just please. Yep. It's easy. Yeah, people are going to spend some amount of time in there. You might as well not make it uh, the worst bathroom in Scotland if you've ever seen <laughs> the intro to Train Spotting. Yeah. And yeah, that is just something that like completely skips my mind, but it was actually one of the things we worked the hardest on when we were building the blueprint uh, for the, the LGS that we were never able to spin up because thank you, the perfect timing for the pandemic. Um, yeah. And there were a lot of questions about how we make the bathroom really palatable and passable for the space. And we were only going to be able to have one. So it's got to serve everybody and everything, right? So that means ADA compliance, which is not that difficult, but that means you've got to figure out where the toilet is going to be in regards Mm -hmm. to the sink. So you can put your handrails up. It's going to serve, you know, uh, every parent. So you're going to have to have some kind of changing station, uh, most likely and whatever necessities you think a human is going to need in this bathroom, Moreover, yeah. in a store, you also need to make sure it's clean because 
anything that happens in there can either be heard or smelt by everybody else yep. in the store. So, it's important. yeah, that is definitely a, a, a top-tier item. Uh, for me, the, the, the first thing that came to mind is um, a, a highly visible and rotating case stock. Because mm. when I thought about things that I dislike seeing at an LGS... It's the same stuff in the case. If it doesn't rotate, that tells me y- your business is stagnant. And it doesn't matter yep. what's on the shelves. You're just buying what distro sells you. You're not really putting forth much effort with the community. And you don't put a lot of pride in your shop and your work. Even if you're just moving cards around from your binders and back to your cases up top, that's really where... like some of the ease of this can come in. You don't need to constantly be buying and, and to, to replenish the case. You can just be moving things around. And with that, like, organization. When One of the things that I disliked the most when working as kind of a, a pickup for a number of booths at Grand Prix was when there was split inventory and you'd have the same cards in a couple locations. And it might yep. have been at the same price, but it just didn't make sense. Because to me as a seller, I need to know where everything is. And I'm just going to pick up whatever's in front of me, whatever somebody pointing at, etc. Yeah. I'm not going to lead them to the right version if I need to sell somebody's copies over somebody else's or sell something first. And it makes it very confusing for the buyer as well if they're seeing multiple copies, even at different prices. And it goes the same for cases. You have a captive audience, they're there, they're working with you. And if your case is in disarray, it is very difficult for somebody to work with. Why is one copy of a card $3.99 and the other $5.99? I don't know. Are they going to ring up the same? Don't know either as the buyer. And for me, that is kind of it gives off a sense of disorganization yeah i think it's really important you know in this I, but the biggest pet peeve i have is going to obviously split booths and seeing things at different prices i get it as a vendor that split booths happen so it doesn't yeah. bother me but to the lay consumer they see that and they think that's confusing one that there's cards in different places and two why do you have things priced at different prices just try to have some kind of cohesion there and something rotating. And then, you know, the the thing that an LGS needs that I think in addition to the case stock, and as this is kind of touching on what you're saying, have an out. Yeah. If you have stale inventory and your community is not buying it because, it, again, stale inventory looks bad to the consumer. Yeah. When I walk into a store and I see, oh, yeah, there's the, there's the same three Seedborn Muses from three weeks ago. How are you not selling Seedborne Muse? There's that, yeah, too. That... I, I think now, oh, well, maybe you guys don't know what you're doing. Or you don't know your client base that well. Or you don't know your client base that well. I don't know if I really want to spend time here because you may not ever like cater your inventory to my needs as a consumer. Yep. Having an out for that stuff is really important. And you know, kind of a freebie on this one is uh, sunk cost fallacy, get rid of it. It doesn't matter how much you paid for the card. You need to turn it into capital at some point, yeah. and that's where that out kind of becomes important. Because, look, you may have paid $6 on this $10 card, and now it's down to 8 That's fine. You don't have to get 10 out of it. You can get 6 from a buy list or something and be happy and move on. Absolutely. 
And having that out is super important, be it someone in your community, be it a business you have a relationship with, or be it some online buy list. Just being able to do that is incredibly important. Uh, and that's that's something that I think a lot of LGSs don't necessarily have the opportunity to build is that out. Because a lot of people in the LGS ecosystem, they do just care about their locals. That's fine. Yeah, that's perfect. Rotating that case stock is servicing your locals. Mm -hmm. Because when you sell it to a vendor, you can turn it into store credit. You can turn it into cash. You can turn it into stuff that turns into other things. Because that piece of cardboard, that uh, displacer kitten sitting in your case for a month isn't doing anybody any good by being there. You could literally replace it with a Thopter token, and that would probably be better. Because someone may buy it since you, that displacer kitten's been sitting there for a month. But right. I, yeah, what you got? No, that was my, that was my. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I think, you know, back to me that I think an LGS needs to have is, and this is, I'm going to say specialists. And I don't okay. necessarily mean on the payroll. I just mean like, hey, who's the guy that kind of leads the Weishwartz community, if that's a community in your area? Well, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Tag him. See what he knows. See what the community wants. Try to reach out to those people and build those specialist roles where it's like, all right, well, you know Weishwartz. Hey, uh, could you maybe help us like plan a large Weishwartz events or something just to try to get the community in? Yeah. Hey, uh, One Piece is doing really great, but we don't really get people for it. Let's find someone that knows the game and see if they can drum it up. Or, hell, have employees that know it. Because, look, you and I know as well as everyone you can't really buy cards for Magic if you don't know Magic. Sure, you can hit Control-F and go through it, but you can't talk the talk with a customer. Mm -hmm. Having those people on staff is also really important because they come, people come in and say, hey, I want to look for some board games. Well, talk to that guy. He loves board games. He can spend two hours talking your ear off, and you will leave satisfied even if you don't buy anything because you were able to engage your customer in a conversation that made them feel valued and feel like they had shared interests with you. The amount of times that I've walked into a store and, you know, just, hey, back down to whatever they were doing. That's fine. Hey, if you have any questions, let us know. And then try to engage them. Yeah. Try to see what they want. Try to find, like, having that specialist that knows. Because if you come to me in a store and you say, hey, I want to sell some Weishwartz. Okay. That feels bad as a customer. And I will yeah. fully admit, I can't service that customer. I can't give them what they need. But not having someone that can do that can kind of chase, chase people away. No, I'm not saying you have to have someone that knows you have to have a person for every single game. But at least if you want to have a community, if you want to have a game and carry it, you need someone that knows that. Someone with knowledge of not just the game, the economy, but you know the meta, how cards interact, or the people. That's something that I think a lot of LGSs overlook is they're like, hey, uh, I have a bunch of friends and we all know magic. Let's open a shop and we all know magic. Let's stay there. You have to have that because that gets you to multiple verticals, which makes you more resilient in times of economic downturn. And you and I have done how many episodes now about needing to be in multiple verticals? Yeah. A few. Uh, but it's just really helpful to have that as an LGS and say, hey, what's hot? What do we need? What can we do to get more people involved and engaged? Because the local game store depends on the local ecosystem. 
So having those people is really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you first started discussing this, what came to mind for me was like the idea of community leaders for uh, table toppers in particular. Oh, Lord, yes. Like, you might, you know, stock, pick a tabletop game, anything that you can play from D&D through Warhammer or something else, uh, Star Wars, yeah. Armada, what have you. War Machine just announced a new rule set. Uh, yet another one. <laughs> cool. Cool. But that's all part and parcel, right? If you yeah. want to have that kind of community, community leaders can get you where, where you need to be, and they can introduce you to the community and vice versa. So making that outreach is super important. It's different than, like, what I initially thought of was, oh, you know, the LGS, the partners with DMs in the area to get people going with their D&D campaigns because, you know, a good DM is hard to find, and yep. they are worth their weight in whatever you want to pay them with. It could yep. be uh, anything from ad admiration to food, but... The, usually an LGS has that kind of connection. It might not be immediately visible, but yeah. they are able to put you with in touch with somebody in the community that leads that community. And I think that it is super important. Yeah. Yep. hundred um, percent. For me, one of the other things I thought about is something that I don't see that often and I do get why, but I think it is a, a downfall and that's clearly labeled and interactable backstock. So it's not just for card games where instead of having your employees have to sit there and pick commons and uncommons, you have binders or boxes or whatever that people can go through. Similar with board games, I've seen yep. a number of stores that backstock uh, open versions of games because they do tabletop nights where they play them. So yeah, you can play the game, engage with it, etc. But if you're able to interact with it, it makes it a lot easier for people to actually, one, free up your time as an employee of the store and yeah. or your employees times so you can reclaim that lost capital while you're trying to pick commons or what have you for whatever card game yeah uh, and also allows people to service themselves which is sometimes all they really want and sometimes yeah. they don't mind doing it either sometimes going through a binder or a box leads to additional sales as people come through and like oh yeah and this and this and this and this and this like not everybody comes in with a well-written list yeah and i think that is hugely important for both sides of this. Like I said, the, the, the board game side and the, the card game side. That's actually something that's been a discussion with a couple of stores I deal with locally. Uh, is, you know, hey, do we want to go online in full inventory with our singles? And I've told every single one, yes, absolutely. You should. And they're like, well, it's, so, it's a lot of overhead. It's a lot of time, energy. Sure, it's a lot of time and energy up front. But on the back end, it makes it so much easier for your customers to purchase stock. Yeah. In addition to that, how the hell are you supposed to know what cards you're out of if they're not inventoried? Yeah. How am I supposed to know I don't have any Splinter Twins? How am I supposed to know some idiot just came in and bought 100 Sarkins on ceilings from me? Well, that's why you so. <laughs> You have that inventory yeah. for that. The same guy. So you can, yeah, same guy. Uh, <laughs> but you have that inventory level, and it informs you not only, hey, this is the stuff that sold recently. This is the stuff that hasn't sold. You know what? Hey, uh, do we have this card? We get that call all the time on the phone. Do you have such and such card in? You can check our website. It's so easy. When you have it all inventoried and online, it's as easy as directing them to their website. And I understand the biggest, like, qualm I've heard LGSs have about this is, well, what if they have questions about their deck, or they want suggestions? Well, then they're going to ask when they pick the cards up. They'll pick them up and they'll say, 
hey, you know, uh, I've been trying with this deck. This, these are in there. Is there anything you can think of? Yeah, here's a few cards. Okay, cool. I'm going to go order them now. And you can just grab them and give them to me. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. It, it's super easy, and that backstock just makes everyone's life so much better. I, I, I don't understand it. Uh, and kind of to piggyback on that, uh, an inventory system. Oh, yeah. Good Lord. All right, let's break some statistics. According to the Department of Labor, uh, internal theft is responsible for 75% of loss in the retail industry. If I don't have my stuff inventoried, I don't know when stuff goes missing, when it gets transacted, what happens to it? And look, even outside of that, just knowing what the hell you have is so important. And you know what? It can be like individual boxes tabulated. It doesn't have to be front-facing anything. And if you just want to inventory cards above $50 or something, that's also fine. Just have some way to track that stuff because – I don't understand the belief that, like, oh, I know what I have. No, you don't. Absolutely not. No. I'm sure, I mean, you and I don't have anywhere near, like, a full LGS or full company inventory. Should I found a Taiga in a box I forgot I had the other day, and I've only got, like, a cabinet of four rows? What? It's it's obscene to me to not expect an inventory system to exist at the LGS, especially when, at this point, 90% 90% of your product is barcoded and UPC'd. Yeah, it's just the singles that aren't. Yeah, everything it, yeah, else can be booped in. Booped in and it's good to go. And I understand, all right, we're not carrying Dungeons & Dragons anymore. Well, you're probably carrying board games, carrying some kind of dice, carrying supplies. Uh, you're probably carrying binders, playmats, all kinds of stuff. Guess what all of that has? A barcode that you can track. It, it's built in, people. It's easy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And to just take the baton back, my third point is labeled digital assets. And I'll get to the other two, but the third one is a PO, the POS system you're talking about. Yeah. The, the, the two LGSs that kind of led us down a path of what we wanted to do with our ordering system was ICE Imports in mm-hmm. Connecticut, where Ross Merriam uh, used to play and, and rep those shirts. And there's a store in Gainesville, Florida that used something similar, but they had a different system where everything was right there. And eventually TCG player came out with their kiosk. And it basically allows you to search the the inventory. So you can either pick cards out of the case and they'll run it there. Or you can scroll through the inventory at a kiosk directly in front of you because it's all hooked into your POS system. You can have one, you can have many, you can place them all over the store and people can just essentially check themselves out and kind of call it a day outstanding the other digital assets basically cover everything else you know televisions so you people can be engaged with something while they're there you can yeah. do your round timers uh you can do like watch parties bring people in to do whatever while they watch whatever game they enjoy up there and then streaming assets and this is kind of a, a nebulous one because it's like oh you're just going to start your own Twitch channel for your LGS, blah, 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 blah. No, I don't think every LGS needs their own Twitch channel. No. I dislike the fact that Judge Academy has a core module based on this because the judge needs to do it for a store. Fuck that. What this is for is to enable you to extend your reach in any way you want. You, you can do box breaks. You can stream rounds if you want of whatever games you're playing. You can do your tabletop, your tabletop stuff. You can do whatnot sales through there. P- 
people are getting into uh, streaming D&D and consuming that a lot yep. more, table of TTRPGs. There's a lot that you can do once you are prepped for it, and yeah, there's a lot of overhead to getting those assets set, but the television, the POS system, I think should be considered crucial to success. Yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, we touched on last episode with vendors and how 95 breaking out those TVs was huge. Yeah. Just having those as an option, like, round timers are great. You know how many times people sit in turn and say, man, I wonder how much time is left. Think about Star City. That round timer is plastered all over the borders of that room for people to see. Mm -hmm. Not only that, something that I've seen that I actually like a lot is putting, for bigger events, putting standings and pairings on those. Yeah. Because you know what you're not going to get? A bunch of people mobbing a fucking judge who's just walking a piece of paper over there and trying to get out of the way. Makes it a lot easier. Uh, and streaming, you know, there, there was actually a store that was in Texas that I used to watch on Twitch and they didn't stream events. Uh, they literally, when they were like listing cards, mm -hmm. they would basically be on camera saying, Hey, this card's about to go out. I'm about to list it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just talking to people or shit talking with their coworkers on camera. Hmm. And it was great background noise and it was incredibly entertaining. Yeah. It's something that's easy that gives you an extra avenue to engage in your community. Yes. Even if it's not strictly locals. And, you know, look, how many LGSs now have discords? A great example of being able to use some kind of digital asset to emphasize what you've got going on at the shop and okay. try to get people. There's one shop I know that has a discord. Every week it's their hot list. Here's our hot buy list. This is what we're out of this week. Yeah, there's so much Here you can do when you prepare for that space. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's just... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, like, I was being super narrow, and like you're extending yeah. this out, and the, this smacks of what you can be doing. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a huge opportunity that I feel like a lot of stores kind of leave on the table. Yes. Uh, so my next one, and this is, I want to stress this and say that this is not something that every LGS needs or an LGS has to have, but something that I think we're getting closer and closer to being like, well, man, you need to get one as soon as you can, is legitimately a card bot. Uh, okay, yeah. They're expensive, sure. Uh, Roku's are like 25K or whatever, or Roka, whatever it's called. Uh, but the amount of labor that it saves you, because some of those card sorters now, they can sort out and upload everything to a CSV that you immediately upload to TCG, mm -hmm. upload to Card Kingdom, Upload to soon-to-be cease-and-desisted card trader uh, up on whatever. It saves a lot of overhead and time. Now, the two things that I will say it doesn't save you on is it doesn't save you on conditioning. And a lot of them have problems telling foils apart from others. But this is the kind of thing that if you have these other assets we're talking about, a POS system, an inventory, a buy list, yep. something like that, this can eliminate effectively two positions, which sounds awful. But you can then take that labor and position it into other stuff that more directly needs a hands-on approach to generating revenue. You know what a robot's never going to be able to do? Organize a tournament, interact with customers in a way that's meaningful and forms a connection, or do any of these things that are incredibly important to a store to survive. Yeah. It just gives you that opportunity to focus the labor there. And again, this is a down-the-line thing. It's not something you have to have. It's just something that I think for a long time people thought was effectively just, you know, when Rokas first came out, they were like 50, 60 grand. 
you know, that's a lot of money for an LGS. Yeah. Simply not the case anymore. They're becoming more and more affordable. We're having financing opportunities come up with these things. It's just, it's a huge opportunity that I think an LGS at least owes itself to looking into periodically to say, hey, is this something we can do? Is this something we can afford? Because it does let you get much more effective at providing products to your customer, not only in terms of cards or whatever else you're sorting, but in terms of like a face. Mm-hmm. Because you have less people in the back, it means you can have more people up front interacting with people. Yep. Yeah. This is one of those good examples of like the robot isn't taking somebody's job. The robot is removing the monotony from the humans so they can produce something else or something different. And yeah. I think that it's – that's not even something I thought of because I keep thinking about something smaller scale when I think about like what are you doing with the LGS and like – you're going to have time during your day to sit there with the, what is it, the eight, the 10 by 10? Yeah. The little Just plastic. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like somebody comes in, you can put everything down, interact with them, and then, yep, and then you just put something on the TV that you can yeah. go back to it when they leave. Yeah. And so it just never never occurs to me. It's like, oh, yeah, there, there are LGSs that do volume that need to do that. Like I keep forgetting that places like Super Games exist. Like, yeah. And you need that kind of setup you need that kind of armada behind you to actually power what you're trying to do not just for your business but for your community yeah um and it's it's something that benefits everyone because like you said you grow the community yep exactly and similarly for the benefit of the community uh, one of the last things i thought about was a well laid out and thought about game space yes and for a lot of people you might not experience this because the lgs you interact with when you go there their community is one or the other, not mixed. So they're tabletoppers, obviously, because that's what we're there to do, but they're all card gamers. They're small space gamers. They're not tabletop RPGers. They're not there to, uh, you know, play Warhammer. They're not there to run Blood Ball, whatever it is. Yeah, and if that's not the if if you know your community is going to be mixed, then you absolutely have to think about this because transitioning that game space is time consuming and can be very difficult. And if you don't transition it, then one aspect of your community is going to get absolutely thrashed by yep. the other, by no fault of their own. Um, one of the the LGSs up here started out as a tabletop game shop that was their game space that's what they wanted so their tables were that big and that tall and there was no changing them when the magic players came in so for people who were you know average or below height it wasn't playing at a reasonable level but a little higher it was like playing like you're driving a fucking big rig with your hands in front of your chin and it the reach on those tables is also huge. Those things are like three, four feet deep. So it's very difficult to see across. And that was bland with no future vision of what the community was going to be. And I think that is something that you need to do up top. Even if you think that you're going to serve that community and expect them to come in, then you should be able to carve out space for them that doesn't impact everybody else to some degree. Yeah, I think that's really important because at the end of the day, yeah, your community is going to come there and buy products. But where the LGS actually thrives is on the customer loyalty of the people that are coming there for events because they're the ones that consistently spend money in the store. 
So having that play space for them laid out and having it look make having it make sense and having it be welcoming is incredibly important because it really does make all of the difference because it's a local game store. If people aren't coming there to play games, you're doing it wrong. You're just a retail, like you're the card lane from target. That's not great. It's not where you want to be. No. Yeah. Uh, And on that note, uh, speaking of the card lane of target, and this one should kind of go without saying, but, Uh, A variety of products. And what I mean by that is not just a lot of stuff. I mean when new stuff comes out, if you think it's worth giving it a shot, give it a shot. Because you never know when you can get one of those underserved, like Weishwartz communities that just finds out, oh, they have it. We're going to go there now. Mm -hmm. Because those kinds of communities, especially in gaming, where they feel, I don't know if left out is necessarily the right phrase, but where they're not as accommodated. As, say, your Magic players, as your Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! or One Piece players. They just want a place to play. So if you give them that, if you give those new products, if you have that variety, especially starting out, because I don't care how much research you do on the demographics in your area. When you first open up, you have to cast as wide a net as possible with the understanding that you're probably going to lose like 60 to 70% of those products as time goes on. You've just got to figure out what your customer profile is and cater it to that. And you can't do that, especially at the start, without a wide net of stuff. Uh, You know, force of will, wick sauce, whatever. Just try to get that even in a small quantity. Mm -hmm. Because, look, if they come in and they see it, awesome. There was a store when I was a kid uh, that – it was a bookstore that carried magic primarily. And there was one kid that came in there for Pokemon. So every set. The store would buy a case of Pokemon knowing that this one guy would, over the few months, buy a box, buy a box, buy a box. But he was a loyal customer. He went every single set because they just happened to have the product that he wanted, Mm -hmm. and they would order it for him. Just trying to be accommodating and have that variety is super important, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I never would have known there was a Weibschwarz community in Vermont if there wasn't one vendor who carried them at the one like anime fest that we had a year and i don't know how big that community is because nobody else had it and this one vendor didn't actually have a store they just vended two events they ran this one con and they had been vending anime boston long enough that they effectively had a perennial booth so they would just that's where they would roll out their stock twice a year and nobody else knew about this community except her. And it was beautiful. She would just buy whatever she could during the year and basically blow it out between those two events. Nobody else picked it up and nobody else knew that community was there. Similarly, you mentioned Force of Will, you Buddy Fight, Card Fight Vanguard. All uh, that stuff, yeah. Fab is just coming around up here. There's one LGS that's finally bringing in Fab. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nobody like yeah, we just started because more pe- because people started to ask about it. That was the cue they were waiting for. I asked Yeah months and months ago if they were bring it gonna bring it in and they didn't want to cast that net they just didn't want to try yet they weren't ready to be fair i think they were all they had just started maybe the digimon experiment like nobody had asked about digimon yet but it was a game that happened before they knew people liked it that money was probably still floating around here because people are the right age or the you know the general customer may bases maybe we'll do it so they held up now we got that will we get one piece i don't know we have a dragon ball super community though i know that much 
and there's only one store that carries it, and you'll never guess where all the players go. Right? The one store. Exactly. It's not a hard puzzle to piece together. No. And without carrying, you know, Fab now, they won't find how big, they wouldn't have found out how big the community is, and they would never have without carrying Dragon Ball Super. They would have never actually started and grown that community over time. And it's absolutely the right business to experiment in, even at small scale, because you're right, you have to do it. How do you know what's going to hit if you don't try? Yeah. And, and it's, it's especially in the Eldritch environment where you're very hand-to-mouth, sometimes that's scary. You just can't be afraid to take risks sometimes. Yeah. Oh, for me, my last point is completely out of left field compared to everything else we talked about, but very relevant if you're ever at your LGS for more than a couple of hours. And it is... Actually, it links back to your first point. If possible, partner with local food purveyors. Yes. And it helps it helps keep money in the area because you're going to see that same dollar churn through the community. It enables your players to stay in the space longer if they don't have to go out of their way to find or get food. It's going to it's one of the things that people might consider when they're deciding whether or not to go to your store for an event. Like, all right, I'm going to be this, you know, if I do well at this RCQ, I'm going to be there for six, eight, four, six, eight rounds, whatever. That's through meals. What's available? You know, what kind of prep do I have to do ahead of time for this event? Or can I just roll in and get lunch? And I think that's something that's oft overlooked. And it is not always a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. Because, you know, not every food store is uh, owned and operated by nerds. So question mark there. But at least making it known that you are working with other people locally is definitely something that can throw a little bit of the benefit in your direction as people like i said discuss about where they want to go for events or if they're just looking for places that continue to support the local community and not just their customers by taking their customers dollars yep and that's the the one thing i really want to touch on there was you mentioned the money staying in the community uh obviously super important as a very community oriented industry whatever the case is get some kind of food in there not only because it keeps people in your store longer but if you're able to get serve safe certified and have like a kitchen in your store the margins on that stuff are disgusting and can pay your overhead it's a really like it's scary for a lot of people because it's not really a lgs thing but getting food in there is so so crucial our vending machine at the store i work at now uh pays like i think ten thousand dollars in profit a month that's disgusting it, just because we have a vending machine. Yeah. If you had, you know, when we have larger events, we'll actually have food trucks come out and just park in the lot because they know people are going to be there for eight to 10 hours and they're going to probably want to eat multiple times throughout the day. It's just such a huge opportunity to provide for your community and provide an extra service. There used to be one store out here that I, everyone went to their pre-releases because they had pizza parties at the pre-release Yeah. and you didn't have to pay for it. You just got free pizza for showing up. Like that's incredible. That's um one of the stores I used to play F and M at basically did that. There was a Domino's like around the corner, and at one point <laughs> the owner would just call back to like try and collect yeah. the order, and you didn't have to pay. And uh, there was also some small partnership basically. Yeah. Like that that Domino's made cards that you could take over, and you get like a, a buck or two off or whatever it is for yeah. whenever you were just down there. And it, it creates this nice, interesting, and reciprocal relationship with other businesses in your area. 
so for me, that's the last point I have on things that you should have. Um, I don't have a lot for traps. What do you? So traps, there's there's two big ones. Okay. Uh, and I I think this is true of really a lot of vendors now, and you're starting to see the like larger vendor ecosystem shift to be the same way. For the love of God, don't stock shitty foreign cards. Don't pay more for signed or altered cards. They look good. They are dog shit. You do not want them in your store ever. Yeah. You can give them away. That's fine. If they're given to you, find something to do with them. See if someone will swap it out for a regular version. Now, there's exceptions, obviously, if it's Klug or something like that. But look, nobody cares about your foil Italian Knight of the Reliquary. That's, that's dirt. It's never going to move. Don't buy that card. Yeah. Do not do it. And to expand upon that point, when inventory's dead, get rid of it, which we touched on earlier. So I won't elaborate on that. Yeah. But don't buy dead inventory just at the start because it looks cool or someone may want this. Nobody wants it. If they wanted it, they would have bought it on MKM, TCG Player, eBay, whatever. There's a million ways they could get it. That stuff used to be really cool, but now the Internet's a thing. So it's a lot easier to get that stuff. That's, that's my big trap. Yeah, I think a lot of people might still be stuck in the mystique that like there are certain languages that hold a premium in non-foil. No. Uh, there are certain languages that hold a premium in foil. Yes. Not but kind of? you, you just continue to shrink your audience to a point where they become pieces of dead inventory to what you're saying. Like, yeah, the foil, Russian, Japanese, Korean, whatever, if you hit the right time and the right set, absolutely. Is it doing much in your case? No, you should probably just take a photo, put it on Facebook, and hope it turns there, and open up your marketing opportunities. So yeah, ab absolutely agree. It's not a lot that I have to think about, but it's weird because uh, Montreal to, is closer to me than Boston, but nobody wanted to deal with French cards. Yeah, here in, in the states, nobody ever wanted them. So anybody who came down to trade them, or or wound up with them, I should say, you would always be taking the L on that trade if you yep. were the one with the French card. And uh, I think the same went for Spanish. And when they were doing uh, simplified and traditional Chinese, if you had S Chinese, you were taking the L on that one. Yep. Huge, 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 huge. But it's super important. You're not... Unless you actually have to serve that community. Absolutely. And then it's just not dead inventory. It's not bad. No. But generally speaking, if you're picking something up and saying this is pretty nice and not this is pretty liquid yeah or i think this is neat no yeah. neat that doesn't sell no i think there's also one other caveat here where it's like the there's one lgs by me who used to do it i don't know if they still do but they would get with every one of their first orders of a standard set one box one singular box of like japanese or russian and that was it and they just let it ride. They would open yeah. it, it would sit on the shelf, and if people wanted to buy a pack, they absolutely could. But it was just one box. They weren't there looking to rebuy um, yeah. foreign stuff. Hundred percent, hundred percent. The 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 trap for me that I, that I continuously bump up against is one that we just keep talking about, which is just you you if you don't share in your inventory and you let it turn into dead inventory and you don't move your dead inventory, then it becomes clutter and it takes up most likely space and that's how you walk into these like ancient comic stores or lgs's that are just floor to ceiling aisles of crap mm -hmm. that are so difficult to navigate and impossible to buy anything from and to me that's like the biggest trap is just 
almost hoarding. Yeah. Like you, it, the sunk cost fallacy is right through the store, and nobody wants to churn anything because my margins. Ugh. And the the root cause analysis is is exactly that. I spent money on this, so I've got to get more than I spent on it out. Well, do you even know what it cost you at that point in time? What is your what is your cogs? What is your cost of goods on that? Do you know? Yeah. Do you not know? Okay, well, why haven't you churned it yet? What have you tried? Get it the fuck out of the store. It's easy. Just get it out. Yeah. I the the one that I find more often than not is actually a contributing factor to LGS's closing is getting complacent. Uh, that sounds pretty boring and bland. Sure, fine, whatever. By that I mean literally just not iterating on your processes and not trying to innovate. Uh, this industry changes constantly, you know, be it the arbitrage opportunities, uh, Wizards of the Coast changing some ridiculous policy for the nth time this year, uh, card getting printed for the millionth time, whatever the case is. You need to be willing to adapt your model as things change. Good example, premium. When premium came out, a bunch of people could not wait to get on the train because we were promised all these things would be great. Now stores are realizing that often to get compliant with premium, you have to spend twenty to $30,000 just to get the stuff they want you to have. Um, that's fine. You need to be able to change up, adapt your model. Just because doing your buy list one way has worked for 10 years doesn't mean maybe you should change it. It could be better. And that's something that I think a lot of shops get caught in is we don't really need to work on this because it works. It, I don't like that personally. It works for some people. But for me, if you want to grow your LGS and you want it to be successful, like not being complacent is key to that. You can't just sit there and be like, man, this is fun. You can do that. But you have to be like, man, this is fun. I can't wait to make it better better yeah because there's always ways that it can be improved there's no such thing as the perfect lgs out there i haven't seen it i don't know anyone who has you can always get better i think that's also a life lesson yeah <laughs> you know, that's fair you should be, always be willing to and able to take a step back and review something that you're doing and say how can i make this better and just what is the process that makes this better what can I do? How can I serve my community better? How can I make this a better experience overall? Yep. You know, look for those opportunities wherever you can. I think that's hugely important. Yeah. So anything else before we move nope. on to picks? All right. I have no traps, so let's get it started with picks. All right. So as we discussed up top, you are going first again. All right. So this week, uh, I'm picking something that I'm upcycling from an episode from, I think, year two. Late year two, early year three. 191 is what we came up with. Yeah. Oh, 191. Wow, that's your four. All right, anyways, whatever. Uh, Jeweled Lotus. Now, this may seem kind of interesting to some people. It was just leaked, so why are we why are we picking it? Well, uh, sure, it's going to go down when it gets reprinted. But right now, low is $72. Do you know what the lowest all-time value on Jeweled Lotus was? Sixty-eight fifty. I was going to say, like, 75 we we are three dollars away from the lowest point this card was ever at, which was all the way back in twenty twenty. Now, obviously, it's getting reprinted later this year, and we'll see a little bit of a price dip then. But this card, from the date of the announcement, when low was one hundred dollars even, 
cratered down to 71, and now we're at 72. That lost over 25% of its value just because it was announced as a spoiler. Yep. It's real low. I don't know that we'll get much lower. Now, an analog to this that I'd encourage everyone to look into is the Eternal Masters Mana Crypt. So if you take a look at the price chart on stocks for the Eternal Masters Mana Crypt, you see it started like 123, and then it was real low for about a year or two. Skyrocketed up to almost $200. Now, it was reprinted in Double Masters in between M21 and Zendikar Rising. At that point, we're at $100. Still above fresh off release low of, guess what? $75. So this card, when the set was released, and granted, this was the first reprint of it in a very long time. Yep, yeah. Uh, was over 100 and went down to almost half of what it was. And then gradually over the years, went back up. We had it reprinted. It goes from 104 down to about $80 this time for the floor before it continues to go up. And if you stretch this price chart out, you will literally see that it's just a gradual upward climb. Doesn't matter that it got reprinted in Double Masters. Doesn't matter that it had, you know, mystery booster printing, everything. It's just a steady uphill climb. That is exactly what I expect to happen with Jeweled Lotus. The difference is... Jeweled Lotus is not one of those cards that is necessarily as stigmatized as Mana Crypt. Jeweled Lotus came out when all of the current players, or close to when all of the current players were playing. They grew up with that card. That card's fine. They don't see it as Mana Crypt, which is more often aligned with a more competitive mindset, uh, which is simply just not the case. Now, that gives it a little bit more liquidity, and most importantly, there's an alt art with art that has not existed yet. Now, that makes it very interesting to me because this is new art, and based on what we've seen with the chase cards from all of the recent sets with collector boosters, there's not going to be much of a price difference. Look at Imperial Seal. There's not much. Look at Dockside Extortionist. They're about the same. Like there's, There's a few dollar difference, sure, but it makes it a lot easier to get the card affordably. So in terms of quantity, well, it's an EDH card. So you're going in multiples of one. I probably wouldn't go more than like five or six. And that's with the understanding that these are going to be a little bit more of a slow churn. You're not going to find someone that's like, I need three of these for my decks. You might. It's not very likely. Most of the people getting it are just going to be getting one mm-hmm. for their deck that they're building now. Yeah. Or to upgrade their favorite deck and then move something into one of the lower end decks. Now, timeline-wise is where it gets kind of tricky because this was merely spoiled. We haven't had the set release yet. Now, if we take a look at the Mana Crypt graph, we can see that this card hit its low when it released at about $70. And it was about a year and a half until it came close to doubling in price. I'm expecting that we're sitting at close to the all-time floor here. I'm comfortable picking them up now, knowing that I'm going to hold them till. Probably a year and a half, two years. Yep. Now, if we wait until when Commander Masters comes out, this card may actually hit the $50 mark. Hmm. I, I don't think it's very likely, because Commander Masters is the quad collector booster format. So there's only four per box, and the cost is significantly higher on the set than it has been for other sets recently. There's also what looks to be over 1,000 cards in the set as well. Yeah, so uh, the we Jeweled Lotus is... What is it? Seven seventy-two. Um, the, for the alt art. Seven zero two. Close. Yeah, seven zero two for a J. 
But, yeah, we don't know how many treatments overall each card gets. We know there's the set version, there's the showcase, which you and I looked at, and it looks like the etched foils from the original Commander Legends, yeah. and then this broken border version that I've brought up a couple times. Is there yeah. a fourth variant? We don't know. But that makes it a little bit more affordable. So timeline there is obviously about six to seven months shorter. You're looking at a year to a year and a half before you can profitably offload this. Now, the other reason I like going maybe a little bit deeper on this pick than some of the other ones at this price point is the liquidity associated with it. This card is liquid gold. Every commander player needs it. It's just like a soul ring. And it's at that price point where it's still kind of affordable and people don't feel bad paying for it trading for it, dumping towards it, whatever. It's not like I'm going to dump an entire trade binder to a, you know, a Black Lotus here. Yeah. I'm just trading you a few fetches and getting a Jeweled Lotus out of it. Cool. I'm fine with that. Just really good opportunity that I think has a solid, steady timeline and has prior examples of similar things with a positive value over time. Yeah. Uh, just think it's really solid. Yeah. For what it's worth, I'm looking at the set numbers on these. And the showcase is 611. Sorry, the etched is 611. The showcase, if you want to call it that, is 702. That means there's 91 cards between both of these Jeweled Lotus, which means that this showcase variant that we're looking at is still 298 cards away from breaking the four-digit collector mark. So that is more than just the rest of the set x1 obviously because again or sorry the rest of the rares and mythics x1 yeah um so yeah there could be uh yet another treatment that we're missing which does change i think the price on this the a little bit and the fact that it might crater harder yeah yeah but even if it craters when it releases again i'm so comfortable buying now because this card is not gonna like it'll never be a ten dollar card no, no, absolutely not. This is, it's not going to float down to Sol Ring, you know? No. Even, even if everybody out there played Monocrypt and Monovault, they'd still be as close to expensive as they are for what they do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, for me, uh, I'm also sticking with uh, EDH. I have yet to go back to Constructed, though it looks like we are kind of ripe to do so, which I'm very excited about. I'm. It's going to be nice. And I'm looking at Herald of War, which is an angel from Avison Restored. And it is uh, not not the most enticing angel, but it, it's pretty interesting when you take a look. So for 3 and 2 white, you get a 3-3 three, three flyer that says whenever Herald of War attacks, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. And it also says angel spells and human spells you cast cost 1 colorless less to cast for each plus 1, plus 1 counter on Herald of War. Now, these abilities are... Uh, neat to pair together but they are not tied together however you want to put a plus one plus one counter on this card uh, you can do so and it will still impact the casting cost of additional angels and humans after that that gavity township you got a number of green fight spells that are out there planeswalkers any way you want to put counters on this thing that stack it it still works and it works well now i put this on my list in august of 2022 and CK was buying 33 at a dollar. When I decided on this pick, they were buying 22 at a dollar 60. They're now buying 22 at 
of dollars, so they were fulfilled, and it looks like it just kind of slowed out. Uh, TCG market was sitting at a dollar sixty-seven with a hundred and one copies total. They are now a dollar ninety-eight with one hundred and seventy-three listings. Um, actually, a little higher, about two dollars, and still about the same number of listings. Looks like some of these are coming out of the woodwork now. This is a very obvious card. Reading it explains it, though it is unsurprisingly slanted toward angels when you look at the EDH rec data. I thought this might be a role player in some of the Orzov human lists that we've seen helmed by a number of the Orzov human generals that we received, maybe like the Marduk uh, knight or human knight general thing that we got a while back. Not really the case. This is primarily uh, in angel decks. So... This goes back to our Streets of New Capenna episode where we talked about Giada Font of Hope and how the Angels yep. tribe would coalesce around a new mono-white commander. Now, in over 80% of Giada decks, Herald of War allows you to synergize the strategy and deploy a suite of creatures whose mono value can become a hindrance to your ability to double spell in the middle late game by allowing you to do that very easily in time. Now, this is by no means an early game play, but it does help you before or after a board wipe, which is something I worried about Giada. If you go back and listen to that episode, I didn't think Giada was really capable of recovery on its own. I think it needed a lot of help, and I didn't see the deck kind of forming around it. Now that we've had the time, yeah, we can see this. Prior to the board wipe, it can help you deploy quickly to threaten lethal, and after the board wipe, it helps you rebuild rather quickly which is what I just talked about. It also helps you stack your angels pretty tall after and allows you to win with a minimal amount of angels. Yeah. Without Herald and a combat step or two, Giada seemed to be a dud, like I said, but with Herald, it can reclaim like a quote-unquote high-threat status. For me, though, one of the most important aspects of this card is that it promotes combat, and that's a tried-and-true game-winning strategy. This isn't overly powerful it's, as it's not a combo card, and it's not a reusable overrun like Pathbreaker Ibex at all, and it's not Triumph of the Hordes, which apparently people really dislike. This is just smooth sailing on the winds of attack you, play an angel, go, which is highly appealing to me, and I think a lot of the format, because as we keep talking about, for some reason, people view the combat step as toxic when you do things like Crater Huff a bunch, and I don't get it. Now, run interaction, people. Right. Immediately, there was a crash on this card uh, after it was reprinted in Commander Midnight Hunt, and we've seen a steady increase to a recent plateau in the open market, settling back at the previous floor. So when we take a look at the stocks graph and we look at prior to its spike around Time Spiral, it's about a $2 card. It picks up, it drops uh, after the Midnight Hunt printing, like I said. Giada gets printed in SNC. It's uh, in... It does spike up pretty quickly, continues to grow over time, and now we're at a floor. So I knew we were going to hit this plateau coming into the episode. The Jado hype train might have cooled, but we're still seeing about 100 copies of the sell between LP and Near Mint a month, and that's why I'm looking at this again, because there is that VLO on TCG Player. So while these aren't fantastic numbers, that's still enough to push the market price of this card up every few weeks as we burn through the low-hanging fruit. So Card Kingdom... Not really where we're looking. That TCG player bump that we saw between the price of when I took my notes and now is exactly what I'm talking about here. We're seeing it grow in the open market. As that happens, it looks like BIOS numbers are moving in lockstep, which means that we are seeing a decent demand across all marketplaces, which is a great sign. So we will see T uh, Card Kingdom pick back up 
after they sell through the stock. So we know it's slow trading in TCG Player. We know it's slow trading on Card Kingdom. As TCG Player market moves up and TC and CK begins to drop in quantity, they will raise their buy list. That's the lockstep we're looking at. Now, if you were to buy in today, you have an immediate turnaround. Or sorry, let me rephrase this instead of just parroting my notes. So if you were to buy in, when I talked about this originally, I think my notes are up on Patreon, you would have had an immediate turnaround to buy a list for a small profit. That was there. There was enough low-hanging fruit to turn around to CK for a small amount of profit. But I do believe tucking these away for a month or two should yield better results when you turn them around. So again, we want to pull them out of the market and, yep. and reflect them back in. Now, this could be... These could be placed in your binder for locals. These could be moved into buy lists. And when that catches up further down the line, or you can just move them back into the open market through TCG Player. I don't expect yep. this to take too long, probably in about three months. And that's really what I would expect to be solidly in the black on this card. CK might be a little bit longer. I have been noticing their buy list numbers starting to drift from retail. Uh, their, hot, their decent buys are at 60%, and I'm noticing... They're trending down towards 50 to 55 of their own retail for a lot of things. Um, so that's just research that I've been doing since I took these notes. And it could be that this is one of those cards that they just, even when they restock, they just don't turn fast enough to raise that number. So I would expect this to be less a buy list thing now that I've had time to review and more an open market thing. But again, keep an eye on Card Kingdom because it was lockstep for a while and I still expect it to be lockstep. And if you want that to be your easy out, it's just going to take a little longer. Yeah. Now reprint equity, a uh, little dangerous. This is the definition of quote unquote generic angel. And while that is a little frightening, none of the sets we have on the timeline have been that we know about are really host to angels as a creature creature type. <clears throat> we have middle earth as one of the next sets. Then I'll drain after that and Ixalan, and almost every single one of them are known homes to humanoids, not angels. I did check it out. I don't think I saw a single angel in Eldraine, and definitely not a single angel on Ixalan. Yeah. We were all about pirates over there. And so I and think cows. we're- It's true. And, and dinosaurs. And thus, wouldn't really expect a reprint in the main or the supplemental products for these sets. Commander Masters is a bit of a curveball, but this doesn't seem powerful enough for a reprint there. Thus, I think we're insulated until about Q3 2023 from a reprint perspective. So we'd want to exit entirely or exit for a profit uh, with our overstock by then. And the reason I cite Q3 is because that's kind of where we just lose insight right now. We're waiting yeah. on what's coming down the pipe. Because uh, I... there's going to be a surprise set drop there. There's yeah. going to be. I expect the, the Lorwyn announcement to come at some point in time because that's just been floated forever and yeah. when that does that is just another link of the, on the chain of the white creatures in this set were humanoids not angels and so that yep. continues to insulate us it was this generic quality that really worried me up front but it was kind of relieving to see that the sets we have in front of us like are just angel light thankfully no as far as buy quantity is concerned, I do own a small amount uh, from cracking prize packs when I was playing pretty heavily, but I'd be looking to pull up to about a dozen to split between my binder and spec box, refilling my binder as I move them. That's really my out. That's my expectation is to move them locally. So again, effectively into the open market. So uh, 
this is a community first card for me as none of my LGSs have great backstock for pre-Pioneer. So it represents a great trade opportunity for me. That's my outlook on this card. It's basically community first because I just don't think it exists yep. up here. So. I like it a lot. I think it's... You know, the one thing is when you mention Repoint Equity, obviously it is the generic good angel. Uh, but the fact that, you know, in some ways wizards doing the release calendar like the way that, the way they do actually helps inform picks like this because yeah. you know look thematically it doesn't make sense for any of these nope. unless they throw us some random curveball product where it's just okay i guess that's in there sure but i wouldn't expect to see something like this reprinted because we've we're not going back to innistrad anytime soon uh you know we got a commander reprint of this mm -hmm. but I just don't see it happening. And even if it does, uh, this is the kind of card that may actually benefit from more eyes on it long term. Because it came out in Innistrad. Mm -hmm. Like, that was generations ago as far as Magic players are concerned. Yeah. Uh, I, I had someone come in the other day that didn't understand that Delver was good and standard at one point. And I'm like, oh, I'm so old. <laughs> but uh, it's just a really solid pick. And it is something that I think worth mentioning the fact that it does interact with humans mm -hmm. does give it a little bit more playability or at least more potential for it to be worth more money yeah because humans are a tribe that are relevant in 60 card formats guys like humans matter they do things sometimes you just want an extra lord i don't know if there's a world where it exists in a you know modern humans list but i can't discount that it exists because clearly it, it's something absolutely that's why i was surprised to really only see there is one human on this list it's uh leonor leonor autumn sovereign from, okay uh the midnight come oh that's probably in the same fucking deck it's the yeah. midnight hunt commander <laughs> commander oh, yeah. yeah there we go that's why yeah but that's it everything else is an angel and it was very surprising to see that nobody was taking advantage of this for human decks and it could also be the like no content creator really plays a generic human deck i know john suarez did last week on the uh, star city versus series yeah but he got mushed before he could do anything was this card in there i do not know and i did not look at the list i didn't think to because yeah. it didn't it wasn't put on display being in the 99 about not being put on display of a content creator's video is is not helpful for us here yeah so similarly if somebody does come back around to cycle up like Giada and actually lands this or just some, does something a little more casual with angels or humans, people get to see this. Yeah, it does kind of kick the dust off this card. And so far as there's a generation of players that do not know what this card does. They didn't interact, did not interact with the Midnight Hunt Commander decks because we yeah. were like neck deep in infinite product. At that point in time, we had both Innistrad sets and I really don't think anybody was interested in the humans or angels deck, whatever it was when they had yeah uh vampires and werewolves to play with again so yeah <sighs> just a, an entirely overlooked card that had a decent stocks graph up until the reprint it like if you go back far enough you do just see a crest up into a spike and eventually if it, if it wasn't reprinted it would have held up and i do think yep. that we'll see this uptick again in the future over time as more people you know buy into this card the other thing that i like about this is be it does serve all angel decks and it does something really unique compared to every other angel that is out there when you look at what is being played it doesn't pump the team it doesn't 
impact the team like the Avisons do. It's not, I can never remember this one's name. Is it Shalai? Yeah, this the one that grows them. Uh, no, the the one that gives you and every other creature hexproof. Yeah, Shalai does that too. Oh, Shalai does, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it has the Gavany Township effect on it, yeah. right? But these are all cards that are highly, synergist, highly synergistic with Herald of War. It's just this really palatable card that is straddles the competitive quote unquote because we're talking about an angel's theme deck here competitive nature of commander and the casual aspect of commander whereby this plays in on both sides of this which i really enjoy yeah like i've talked about it a number of times with cards and it just seems really appealing and once people remember this card like you said they'll pick it up when people see it in binders it's the same thing like oh i didn't know i could actually do this this is really cool let me pick one of these up sure yeah i got in at like sub two now it's 253 easy turnover i don't i don't think there's any kind of long-term impact on this card unless it is just hit with a, a reprint after a reprint but we have several months ahead of us yeah so i'm 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 excited to see what this card does especially now that like i mentioned the giada hype has died down and see what like true demand for something like this looks like yeah uh, actually, really good look, I think, and it's appeals to the casual. Gotta love it. Yep. Right. Anything else for this week? That's it. All right. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.